thank you for coming onto the show today. How did you get into astrology, Kate? Um, crisis, Wendy, to be perfectly frank. I was brought up in a religious household, sort of fundamentalist Christian, which didn't suit me. And yet there was this feeling of another perspective to life, that divine perspective and a higher reality. And when I left the church in my teens, quite angrily, actually, there was a loss of that divine perspective, which which saddened me. And I kind of experimented with being a materialist, you know, and thinking that when you die, you rot and all of that sort of stuff. But that was never true for me, really. It was just a sort of posturing that I tried on to sort of be like how I thought other people were and stuff like that. Anyway, as I went on through my life, I, in fact, it was about the time I left the church that I first read an astrology book and I found it very diverting and interesting and uncannily accurate in some respects. So that was in the background. And when I got older and was kind of struggling in life, as we often do, I started reading more and more astrology and I discovered the Jungian astrologers, people like Liz Green and Howard Susportas, and they were so intelligent and psychologically informed in their approach to astrology that I felt, oh my goodness, this is actually quite a serious subject and these are serious people with respectable intellectual backgrounds. You know, there was nothing flaky about it. So I read more and more. Finally, in a real moment of crisis, I consulted an astrologer myself and I told her I was really interested in astrology. And she said, "Mm -hmm, yes, I can see that in a very knowing way. And she said that if I went away and learned the basics, that she would take me on. And so I was apprenticed to her for three years. And here I am now, 20 odd years later. And coming from the the Christian church, I can identify with that because anything mentioned about astrology was always tut-tutted. The Bible story about Jesus, the three wise men and following a star, I mean, surely that's even astrology. The Magi belong to an astrological tradition. Yes, but it's certainly um, seen as sinister and devilish in the church that I was brought up in. It's difficult (laughs) being diabolical, but... All these thoughts and pronouncements are are made on the basis of zero knowledge, which to me, that's the definition of bigotry. You know, this huge suspicion and anxiety about anything that has any tinge of the occult about it. And for me, occult just means knowledge that is not apparent, um, what is not measurable, what can't be seen and touched. And um, many things are occult, including, I would say, uh, Christian belief. How is it that stars so far away can actually influence us here on Earth? (laughs) That's a humdinger of a question, isn't it, Wendy? You have to return to hermetic principles, that idea that as above, so below, as within, so without, as the cosmos, so the soul. And this kind of idea of correspondences is really deep in our wisdom traditions all over the world. We have a cosmos even inside our body 
that every part of our body relates to a star sign and that our experience of our in our body actually helps us build bridges out to the wider cosmos but for most part in human history that idea of correspondence has been there and it's only since the enlightenment when science and magic were shorn apart from each other that um People lost that perspective. Intuitively, it makes sense to a great many people. There is a sense in which everything that you're seeing and feeling is actually existing inside you. I'm looking at the beautiful drawing on the back of your book, The Body of Stars, and you've got the signs on the body. And And the cosmos is shown around the outside of it. So the cosmos is the creative circle inside of which everything moves, lives and has its being and right at the centre of that cosmos is a human being who is another iteration of that cosmos because all all the signs ruling their body from head to toe and there's a kind of interweaving between the cosmos and a human being. That's what life is. In biodynamic gardening, people like Maria Sun planting of roots or leaves or fruit crops they actually follow astrology yeah they they use astronomy in trying to work out when the best planting times are if it's water days and they use astronomical aspects between planets to suggest when warm times and cold times might be what kind of weather we might be expecting so that people know when to plant things, know when to open the beehives and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. When you were writing your book, you were weaving in all the Jungian side as well and the poetry. And it felt like it was a book where you've taken all your knowledge from many different sources and kind of woven it all together. It's like a reference book and come back to it. For me, astrology is just a branch of wisdom knowledge that has opened up a kind of way of understanding life for me. And I've always been interested in healing and the meanings that our bodies hold. Like, why do we get ill at certain times in our lives? And what does it mean when certain parts of us ache or are injured or we have ailments? I've always felt like that's it's not random. It's almost like the body signaling to us. So beginners to astrology, all they know about is so where the sun is placed. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So if you have your birthday when the sun is in Capricorn, you call yourself a Capricorn. That's just the description of the sun. But you also have a moon sign and a Mercury sign and a Venus sign and a Mars sign, etc., etc. And your chart is based on when you were born, at the point on the earth where you were born, at the time you were born. So it's got levels and levels of meaning beyond just where your sun is. Okay, that's like the teeny tiny toe dipping into the hole. (laughs) It is hugely significant where a person's sun is because the sun is not a planet. It is a star and the stars represent the soul level of experience So where somebody's sun is and the condition of the sun in their chart will show where they are trying to break new ground for consciousness to aid their soul's development. And the personality is designed 
as a vehicle for the soul and it set up in such a way to create a certain kind of experience for a person that will be productive of consciousness, that will aid their direction over lifetimes. So the sun is really, really crucial. Okay. So so the soul picks a certain sun type to come into the planet. Is that what you're saying? The soul picks a moment and a place in order to make its entry. And our parents are also chosen because they are reflectors of past realities we've experienced. Our parents are indicators of energies that we have had around us or lived through ourselves in other lifetimes so that we are not starting from zero, that we've got some kind of markers that are carried over from one lifetime to another. Parents and family members, have we incarnated with them before? I think that we incarnate in soul groups. I was trained in the the theosophical tradition of astrology and there there is the idea of soul groups. So I think anyone that is part of your um, close friendship circle or people that you have strong working relationships with and many family members and pets and things like that are highly likely to be beings that you already know and have incarnated with before that's my sense of it and if an idea really resonates with you then it's worth exploring and if it doesn't then let it go okay like a north star or a compass like a personal compass in a way yeah, I mean, I think we all have that, don't we? We're all sifting mm. through ideas and messages from people all the time. And some of them chime, our ears open and our hearts open. And we think, wow, that makes sense to me. That's meaningful to me. Even if it's not something I can prove or disprove, you know, what opens your heart? What enlivens you? That's always worth following, something that enlivens you and Sometimes you meet people and straight away you kind of click. You feel like you've known them for lifetimes before. Yeah, so maybe you have. There are those people, aren't there, where you just kind of, they feel just familiar. When I got involved with Druidry, I worked on my own for quite a long time and then I met other people and they just felt so familiar to me. I don't know if that's because I've known them before or just their way of being. It was just a feeling of like this is the right place to be. Yes. What happens if the mother has a caesarean? Because often gynecologists in South Africa would schedule you in between their their golf weekends, so they'd kind of get the moms in. (laughs) Yeah, there's no planned C-sections at midnight, are there? Well, I guess we just have to trust the mystery of life, really, to provide the correct circumstances. We're dealing with powers far greater than our own. I myself had two unplanned C-sections, We just have to trust life that it brings us the right configuration at the right time. There's a greater knowing. This is the realm of mystery. And there's a greater knowing than our knowing at work here. If you were going to give women that are going through menopause some advice, what would you say as a druid, as an astrologer? How would you help women cope? Well, I see menopause as a rite of passage. And we have rites of passage to initiate us into 
new realms of experience, new ways of being. So in a sense, we need to release and let go the old mode of being, which is in our culture quite difficult for a lot of people because we associate fertility with usefulness and youth and we prize youth above age. So I think when we begin to go through menopause, and it's a long initiation for many people, we need to make peace with what has happened in our lives and begin to treat this as a spiritual initiation and to honour it rather than simply see it as inconvenient, stressful, anxiety-provoking and even frightening, which it is for many of us, isn't it? I mean, some of the symptoms are really challenging. We're going through an initiation that will bring us into a deeper connection with our deep selves, our soul selves, and a deeper connection with, I suppose I would call it reality. And I think that our sense of reality especially through our menstrual years, is fogged up quite a lot. We're in a cocktail of hormones all the time. And in my understanding, hormones are produced by the glands and the glands are physical manifestations of the chakras. And the chakras are energetic centres which orient us in our physical and our spiritual lives so if our hormones are changing then our energetic or spiritual being is changing as well that's something that really needs to be honored and understood that this the menopause is a spiritual initiation into a different perception of reality and one that will enable us to be more grounded, more stable, more capable and more connected with our soul forces. You know, astrology shows me that life is a process of exerting evolutionary pressure upon beings and Menopause is an amazing way for women to evolve. There's a really lovely book, actually. It's about midlife. It's by a Jungian psychologist called James Hollis. So he's writing for men and women. Um, And he says something like, um, at midlife, we can no longer put our souls off we have to source the later years of our lives from our souls like nothing else will do. And I think that pressure, there's a kind of hunger for meaning, I think, that comes in midlife and with the menopause transition, that we have a deep desire in us awakened to find meaning and to find, it's like a summons from the self to the self. Do you know what I mean? Like step forward the real Wendy, the soulful Wendy, and live your life from that soulful centre, truthful and authentic. And I think with the the mists, the miasm of 
the menstrual hormonal soup begins to clear a little bit and it allows for a different perception and perhaps a clearer perception and a more grounded perception and I think that is so much what the world needs that we need to honour this initiation in ourselves and support others in it because it's so crucial to not only individual well-being but to collective well-being for women to to find this grounding and wisdom in their postmenopausal years. That is beautiful, Kate. I resonated with what you said about the initiation. So like the very things that could give us personal power, help us on our path, are um, mislabeled. Yeah, and pathologized in the sense of menopause. You know, menopause is seen as a series of physical pathologies which need to be addressed or need to be monetized. Certainly there's money for the making there because people are suffering and I think they're partly suffering because of the failure of our culture to acknowledge and give space for women's biological processes generally. Yeah, the relief of not bleeding for every month. It's wonderful. I hadn't thought of the chemical ups and downs. I mean, how can you be stable and when that's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's really tangible, isn't it? When mm. when you are in your menstrual years, how much of an effect the hormones have on you, even on your physical capacities. You know, I just remember, you know, when I became premenstrual, I'd start walking into doors and you know, it's like I didn't know where my edges were. The effects of hormones are so profound and yeah. so destabilizing. And also what you said about that deep hunger for meaning. Why are we here? What is our purpose? What is the path? And it's suddenly you think whatever you were concerned about in like your 20s, about like your hair and being crazy fit, you know, washboard abs. And we can look <laughs> back on that now and think, oh, I spent so much time worrying about that. And uh, astrologically... One of the great portals into elderhood, perhaps the first one, is when transiting Chiron comes back to its position in our birth chart, which happens when we're 50, 51. That is when we really come of age. And Chiron, it connects a lot with our feelings of woundedness, shame and pain. And yet it's the kind of woundedness that because it's so painful, there's places in ourselves that we can't leave alone because we need to keep tending to them. And in those places, we develop enormous wisdom, compassion and empathy. We begin to realise that everybody suffers from shame, pain and woundedness. We've all got our own unique circumstances for it, but the stuff is the same. It's human stuff. We all share it. And we can begin to acknowledge the woundedness of others. And the woundedness of ourselves seems less perhaps something that we need to hide away and something that's actually a bridge to our common humanity and to being able to be compassionate towards ourselves, towards others, towards life. And it feels to me that this age 5051 with the Chiron return it ushers us into the very early stages of elderhood by teaching us that where we are wounded that is where we have our greatest sensitivity 
and alertness to our own soul force and to the soul force of others, which makes us respect and honour other people. So you're healing yourself, but then while you're doing that, you're also healing relationships because suddenly the judgment goes down, right? Yeah, the judgment is able to shift because we begin to see that this thing that afflicts me afflicts you too, and I can feel for you. And it's it's almost like before you get to menopause, you actually haven't really got time to think about it. So you've got the emotional up and down the roller coaster. There's the children. If you've had children, there's the career. There's the kind of racing and chasing all the kind of external goals. And then when you get to 551, you start getting in touch that inside there's something a lot more significant. Yeah, then we begin to sense our internal goals, don't we? It's like, okay, so I've either achieved validation according to the externals and it's kind of satisfying and kind of not um or we haven't and that's kind of not satisfying but this going through that chiron return and passing towards into midlife is a real desire to recalibrate according to our inner goals and inner truth and attune and align with our authentic deep desires that perhaps we felt when we were young girls you know before the whole menstrual stuff began you know and a lot of women begin to sense or remember them their kind of maiden self and that inspires them with their own inner longings and inner promptings for what they hope their life would be and I think it's amazing to get in touch and be revitalized by those really early impulses and optimism about what life would be and what we might be able to do and what we might be able to bring in order to become ourselves, not to satisfy the outside world, but to be ourselves, because surely that is what the world needs you know people who are alive and in tune with their authentic nature and authentic power and this is tested when we get to the second saturn return around 58 59 60 saturn returns to its the position it holds in our natal chart and that is the real base note of our elderhood have we brought ourselves to maturity are we yet in tune with who we're really designed to be or are we still singing from the world's song sheet rather than our own do you know what I mean well it's interesting because I'm just thinking in men that's often the age when a lot of them have heart attacks and you wonder if perhaps it's because they haven't gone back to what what does the heart yearn to do Mm. Yeah, there's a higher expectation of them climbing a career ladder or finding meaning in the outside world in a way that disadvantages them in coming to their own, what you called the inner compass, in that inner sense of, well, yeah, what do I really long for? Who am I really? I'm still trying to get validated through work or achievement or status And that becomes increasingly empty because uh, our souls need to flourish. That's where our well-being comes from. If you're not following your soul's path, it's almost like your soul 
not makes you sad or maybe it does make you sad and then it's a time when maybe actually the depression is is useful it can help you get in touch with what you were saying about what did you love as a child and maybe those so um when people say the planet has gone retrograde what do they actually mean by that astrology is all based on our geocentric understandings if you look out and see objects moving through space depending on how they move relative to the earth and its movements sometimes a planet appears to be going backwards its movement in relation to the movements of the earth create that illusion and mercury is retrograde fairly frequently for about three weeks at a time you know several times a year it will go retrograde because it's fast moving and mercury governs things to do with communication trade the easy flow of day-to-day activity so when mercury goes retrograde people start saying oh something's got lost in the post I think it's a little bit overplayed. You know, you mentioned there was like the age 50, 51 Chiron, and then you said 58, 59, 60 Saturn. So yeah. these are all the things that are further out from us. Are these planets that we'll never experience a full number of years in because they, their sort of orbit is so big? Yeah, because Pluto's orbit's, at, you know, over 240 years long, so we'll... We'll never get a Pluto return or a Neptune return. Those of us who live long enough will get a Uranus return when we're 84. But those planets will be interacting with our birth charts as they transit all the time. They make sextiles and squares and trines and oppositions to their own positions. And they aspect other planets in our chart. So they're still part of the weave. They're part of the conversation But, um, yeah, Saturn, we actually get at least two returns if we live into our late 50s. Oh, I see. So it actually happens earlier in your life before. Yeah, you have your first Saturn return at 29. Saturn governs processes of maturation. When it's opposite its natal position, when we're sort of 14, 15, that's usually when we are going through puberty, when we're 28 29 that's the first return and that's considered the time when we start wanting to throw off the conditioning of the parents and actually discover who we are in our own terms saturn rules a seven-year cycle of just over seven years because its whole orbit's 29 and a half years a seven-year cycle that will we can trace that in processes of maturation and um and i think in biology there's a seven-year cycle in some things in alchemy they've also got cycles for fevers there's like a wave the number seven comes into that positive influence and then a a negative influence a sine wave interesting and of course the the 29 saturn's 29 year cycle is a mirror of the moon's 29 day cycle so Mm -hmm. saturn and the moon work very strongly together in my understanding of astrology so what you, you said something about 28 29 and that's actually when i left south africa and came to england i basically changed careers husbands <laughs> i'm single <laughs> yeah. again and just literally up sticks so and yeah I found yeah that- it's amazing and it's very often when people um commit to a relationship or leave a relationship because it does it doesn't feel like it's consistent with who they want to be 
or when they have their, their first child or discover a path or a career path that's of significance to their growth and development and who they think they are. Oh, Kate, it's it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I think I could ask you more and more questions, but I'm just conscious of time. So um, I, in the show, I always ask, who is your favourite superhero? Who's my superhero? I mean, it could be a cartoon superhero or a real-life figure in your life that you look up to. Maybe it's an animal, maybe it's a plant, maybe it's like an inspiration. Uh, an inspiration for me is the hair, the hair. As in the animal, not the hairdo. Oh, I think you're the hair on the head. <laughs> no. no, the animal. And because I sort of feel that we don't see hairs all the time. And whenever I've seen hairs, they feel like messengers from another world because presumably they're out there all the time, but I only see them really infrequently. And I feel like they almost hop out of an invisible world to show themselves to me for a couple of seconds and then they hop back in again so it feels to me like they they leap between ether and matter weaving something magical from the unseen world into the seen world and I just love the look of them and I was very very keen on rabbits when I was growing up (laughs) as a little girl And so, yeah, it's got to be the hair that weaves that weaves magic into the world. That is beautiful. You, you are the first person to actually mention an animal. Have you got any closing thoughts before we sign off? I feel that menopause is a time when we are driven to confront our mental and emotional patterns and very often our bodies uh, really struggle in some way or another and it feels like an initiation that brings us more deeply into the embodied life. And for me, the body is a messenger on behalf of life, evolution and the soul. And so whatever is happening in the body needs our curiosity and loving attention and I suppose my my concern is that when people have menopausal symptoms or any other kind of physical symptoms we tend to want to get rid of them rather than to hear their counsel and bring healing by listening to what the body is trying to include in our consciousness so my parting thought is to honor our processes to honor them as initiatory and to honor our body wisdom that is seeking to actually help us on our path that is beautiful thank you so much well thank you for inviting me Wendy it's lovely to speak to you and to look forward to getting to know you better thank you so much is. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.